0: We welcome you to the Tabernacle podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Let's take our Bibles this morning, and if you would go with me to the book of Hebrews, and the 11th chapter, Hebrews chapter number 11, and we'll begin reading in verse 23. We'll actually just read one verse in the book of Hebrews, and then we'll go back to the beginning, to the book, well, not quite to the beginning, but close to the book of Exodus, all right? So Exodus chapter 1 is where we'll go in just a moment, but we'll read one verse from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23. One verse in Hebrews, and we'll go to the book of Exodus chapter 1. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning, faithful parenting through perilous times, faithful parenting through perilous times. How did Moses' parents bring up this boy in such a difficult period, in such a difficult place? The first two words in verse 23 tell us, by faith, believing God, trusting God by faith they parented their son and their family, their children. We know that Moses had a brother named Aaron and a sister named Miriam. He may have had more, but those are the only two that we know of. By faith, they parented their children through perilous times. Now, I want you to look in verse 8 of Exodus chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me, Exodus chapter 1 and verse number 8, because we have the backstory of hebrews 11 and verse 23 we have the story the context of it here in exodus chapter number one and uh, the word of god tells us here that there arose a new king over egypt in verse 8 which knew not joseph and he said unto his people behold the people of the children of israel are more and mightier than we come on let us deal wisely with them lest they multiply, and it come to pass, that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies, and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pythom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor and they made their lives bitter with heart bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field and all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. I want you to know that they parented their child and their children in a difficult place. They were living in Egypt and they were enslaved, uh, enslaved to Pharaoh. They were in a difficult place, and they lived in a difficult time. They were serving as slaves. That's difficult. Their lives were characterized by rigor and hard bondage. And in verse number 15, to intensify uh, their suffering, the uh, king of Egypt made a new decree. I want you to see it here in verse 15. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other, Pua. And he said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. What you have here is state-mandated abortion. State-mandated abortion. If it's a boy, kill him. But if it be a daughter, then uh, she shall live. Verse 17, But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. Thank God for the midwives. Amen. There were some medical professionals who took a bold stand for God. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto the Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. In other words, before we can get there, the babies are already born. Verse 20, therefore God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. So in spite of all of the efforts of uh, the Egyptians to to keep the Hebrew race from growing and increasing and to, to kill these babies in spite of all of their efforts and all of their persecution, the children of God kept growing and they waxed very mighty. Verse 21, and it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. Imagine that. God rewards and takes care of his people. We just must be faithful to him. Verse 22, and Pharaoh charged all his people saying, every son that is born ye shall cast into the river and every daughter ye shall save alive. So now Pharaoh is getting increasingly concerned about the growing Hebrew race. So he says to everybody, any Male child that is born is to be cast into the river. Now, the Egyptians worshiped the Nile River, and the Nile River was populated with crocodiles, among other things. And so, the people would take their children down to the river, and they would literally cast their child into the river to be devoured by the crocodiles. Well, it was into this time that Moses was born, a perilous time. And how did his parents respond? How did they react? How did they parent by faith in these difficult times? Well, we see in chapter 2 and verse 1, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took a wife of the daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months and when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. She laid it in the flags by the river's brink, and his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And The daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side, and when she saw the ark uh, among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. And then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Here was a child born in a difficult place and in a difficult time with a death sentence upon him. But here was a child that God had sent into this world with a destiny. And I want you to know that God has a purpose and a plan for the life of every one of the children on this planet. God loves them. We sing that song, Jesus loves the little children, all the little children of the world. And I want you to know he does love them. And he has a purpose and he has a plan for their lives. But these children have an adversary, the devil, who as a roaring lion walketh about, and he is constantly actively working, seeking whom he may devour. And it is in the midst of these perilous times that God has given you the opportunity and the responsibility to parent your children. And we learn some lessons from this couple, Amram and Jacobit, that I think will help us to learn how to be faithful parents in perilous times. I want to give you the first lesson that we learn. Number one, I hope you'll write this down. Number one, parent with conviction. Parent with conviction. The Bible says here in verse 23 of Hebrews 11, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now, I want you to know that Moses was a beautiful baby. And uh, when uh, the Pharaoh's daughter opened the basket and saw that precious little boy, her heart melted. He he was a, a beautiful and handsome child. But that alone is not the reason that he was considered to be a proper child. He's a proper child because he was created and made in the image of God. He's a proper child because his parents understood that children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. They understood that God had a purpose and a plan for their son. And so, understanding that, discerning that, being wise and knowing that God had given them a son and that this boy had, had, had a purpose to fulfill— understanding that they had responsibilities as parents to bring him up to protect him to teach him the truths of god's word for the glory of god they resolved in their hearts that they were going to spare his life they were not going to throw him into the river but that they were going to protect him and teach him the truths of god's word now they didn't have all the answers they didn't know how they were going to keep him hidden but they trusted God. They made a choice to do right and obey God and leave the consequences to him. And as we see this story unfold, we're going to find that God works wonderfully in all of the circumstances of our lives as we learn to trust him. Now, we need to understand something about children. They are precious to the Lord. As I said a moment ago, Psalm 127.3 tells us that children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Our children were made by God. They're formed in His image. They're created for His glory, and God wants them to know Him and to serve Him. Jesus accepts children. He loves them. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 13, the Bible says they brought young children to Him, that He should touch them. Oh, that's a great place for you to bring your kids into the presence of Jesus, and I hope you do that on a daily basis in prayer. And you have them here this morning because you want them to hear the truth of God's word. They brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples, now sometimes this happens, doesn't it? His disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Jesus wants children to come to him he receives them he accepts them verse 16 he took them up in his arms he put his hands upon them and he blessed them well that reveals something to us about the heart of our savior does it towards children you see he made them he created them for a purpose and then he came and died for them one day he will return to this earth and establish his kingdom and his kingdom is going to be a place where children are protected Read Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 8. The Bible says that the children will play over the hole that the serpents dwell in, and they will not be harmed. They will not be hurt. Jesus' kingdom is a safe place for children. But unlike the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of this world under the dominion of Satan is not a safe place for our children. Satan is an evil taskmaster. And what does he desire to do? He desires to enslave our children and to destroy their lives. Now, how does he do it? How is he doing it today? Because Egypt is a type of the world, and we're living in this world. Our home is not in this world. Our home is in heaven, and we're going to be with Jesus, but we're bringing up our children in a hostile environment. We are living literally in perilous times, as Paul wrote to Timothy. And so how is Satan at work today to enslave and destroy the lives of our children? Well, I think, first of all, we see that Satan is using politicians today. He's using them to encourage parents to murder their children, to abort them. He he softens the impact of that in, in, in some ways, or he attempts, let's say that, because he doesn't soften it. He's attempting to soften the impact of that by calling murder a choice or a reproductive freedom. Satan is always trying to destroy innocent lives. He uses secular education today. He seeks to indoctrinate them with false teaching, denying the existence of God, teaching them that they're here by a random chance from some random explosion that they have no understanding of how that explosion took place and somehow we're to understand that from a random explosion all of us are here today with all the intricate systems that we uh, have in our bodies and our dna and our our genetic makeup and science falsely so called has accepted and teaches this wrong view of our origin they distort the character of God, to say that the God of the Bible is out of touch and out of date, and he's not he he's not interested in in what you want and what's good for you. And I want you to know that he's convincing many young people that uh, the way of the world is to be uh, is to be regarded higher than the ways of God. He's distorting the character of God. He's casting doubt upon the Word of God. He's using entertainment and pornography to defile our children with a distorted view of sexuality that objectifies women and, and ensnares them in slavery to their passions and to their lusts and leads them ultimately on a path of perversion. If we read Romans chapter 1, we understand that God gave them up to vile affections. God gave them up and over to uncleanness and eventually God gave them up to reprobate minds. We're living in that era with reprobate minds. He uses alcohol and illicit drugs to deaden their senses, to tear down the walls of protection in their lives and to bring destruction. He uses terms like liberty and freedom and choice. And individual rights to enslave the multitudes he uses materialism to seduce them and to seduce us from a life of devotion and dedicate or pursue a life of selfish desire and worldly pleasure i want to tell you where we are this morning we're on the river's edge and the crocodiles are circling. There's blood in the water. And the world is calling for our kids. Can you see them? Can you hear them thrashing about? Stirring the waters? Can you hear the distant faint cry of the child? in the jaws of the crocodile. This is the world we're living in. These are the dangers that our children are facing. And may God give us conviction to parent them by faith. Well, secondly, we learn another lesson from this couple. Not only are we to parent with conviction, but we're to parent with caution. Wisdom. Discernment. Caution. The Bible says that, verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. They were cautious. They didn't take a picture and have a gender reveal and... Take a picture and, and say, here's our new baby and do those things because to do those things would have meant death. So they hid him. They hid him. They knew they couldn't keep him hidden for long, but as long as they could, they kept him hidden. By the way, I think that's a good policy. You see, if we're going to parent with caution, we need to follow their example because they hid their child from the dangers of this world. May God help us to hide our children as long as we can from the dangers of this world. The Bible says in Exodus 2-2, The woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Now, I believe God's given us two institutions that help us hide our children from the world. I just want to speak briefly on them. The first one is, the Christian home. The Christian home. A place of safety for your children is to have a Christian home. I often say to our teachers and our staff, we, we don't have a Christian school at Tabernacle because we have Bible class or because we have a handbook of rules and behavior. We don't have a Christian school because we have chapel. All those things are important and we have all of those things, but those things do not make a Christian school a Christian school. Can I tell you what makes a Christian school a Christian school? Christ in it. Christ in it. Christ in the Christian school. That's what makes it a Christian school. Let me tell you what makes your home a Christian home. Christ in it. You can have two Christians married, united together, and still not have a Christian home. You can have a Bible on the coffee table and still not have a Christian home. If you want to have a Christian home, then Christ has to be in the very center of your life, in the very center of your marriage, in the center of your activities. Christ needs to be in control in your life. And if you have Christ in your home, then you can have a Christian home. Our children need Christian homes where they're taught the truths of God's Word. They need the security of knowing that they have a father who loves God, and that they have a father who loves their mother, and they need the leadership of that father. I want to tell you that 95% of the marriage counseling that I do boils down to one thing. If a, father will, if a, if a man A husband will love his Lord and love his wife and lead his family. 95% of the marriage problems that I as a pastor have tried to help couples through really boil down to that one thing. Husbands, love God, love your wife, and lead your family. And we have a man here who apparently did that, and God blessed them. The Christian home is a source of protection and safety and security, and we must have Christian homes. We don't have time to relive our teenage years. We don't have time to sow our wild oats. We must understand the moment The waters are disturbed. The crocodiles are gathering. The Pharaoh is writing his command. We need Christian homes where we don't just talk about it, but where we try to live it. And when we don't, we are honest about it. Where we have conversations, where we have prayer where we talk about the Lord and we teach our children the truths of God's Word. And then there's a second institution that goes hand in hand with the Christian home. We need the church. How do we hide our children? We hide them in the home and we hide them in the church. We teach them the truths of God's Word. We bring them to church. We teach them to go to Sunday school and carry their Bible and learn about Jesus and learn his word. And we navigate them through the difficult years and we continually cast them into the presence of Christ and teach them the importance and significance of God's house. Sunday is the Lord's day. Let's make sure that we live that and we teach that to our children. It's not another day of leisure. It's not a day of sport and athletics. It is the Lord's day. And we gather on the Lord's day to worship our Lord. So they hid it. Until they could hide him no more. And when they could hide him no more, in verse 3 of Exodus 2, the Bible says she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. She took a basket or made a basket rather out of the plants there. She made a basket. She weaved it. And she took slime and, 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 and then she took pitch to seal it and, and to cause it to be watertight and she put her baby in it and she laid it there at the brink of the river among the reeds. You see, they hid their child from the dangers of this world, and they committed their son into God's care and keeping. That's what we must do as parents. And we do so by teaching them the truths of God's Word. We do so by putting these truths into them and modeling them and living before them and pointing them back to Jesus in every circumstance. You see, a parent is a shepherd. He's a pastor or she's a pastor. A mom or a dad. You're pastoring your children. And let me tell you what resides in the heart of every one of them. They're sinners. They're sinners. And you have to lead them. And you have to confront them. And you have to teach them. And you have to keep pointing them to Jesus. And they committed their son into God's care and keeping. Well, then fourthly, they watched over their son in order to protect him. When they couldn't hide him any longer, they put him in the ark in the river's brink. But they didn't just abandon him. No, oh, they watched over him. That's what parents do. We watch over our kids. In verse number 4 of Exodus chapter 2, And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside. I think they already knew this was going to happen. And they were hoping for this outcome. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she'd opened it, she saw the child, beautiful baby Moses, and he wept. And she had compassion. Boy, her heart melted and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister, Miriam, who was watching over. And Jochebed's at home, no doubt praying, her and Amram. And Miriam is staying out by the river, kind of hiding behind the bushes. And she's just checking her watch because she knows it's almost time for Pharaoh's daughter to come down. And here she comes. And Miriam's watching the whole thing. She sees, she sees Pharaoh's daughter's maidens go get the basket and bring it to Pharaoh's daughter. She sees her open the basket. She's looking at that face of Pharaoh's daughter. As she looks at this beautiful baby boy, she sees it melting. She says, man, this is working out just like, just like mom and dad hoped. You know they've been praying about it, don't you? Do you believe God answers prayer? Oh, he does. And she said, like she just happened to stumble up on the river's brink. She said, oh, that's a beautiful baby there. I know a lady who can nurse him for you. And Pharaoh's daughter says, you go and bring her here and I'll pay her to raise her own baby. Isn't that good? You see, some people don't want to have children because they're worried about the economic pressure it's going to put on them. You believe God's going to give you something he can't take care of? Boy, our our thinking is so shaped and molded by the world, isn't it? To think that it depends on us it depends on us to take care of them no it depends on god they're his heritage and the fruit of the 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 fruit of of the the fruit of the womb is his reward see they trusted god and god took care of them and they watched over him and they they did so in order to protect him and god answered their prayers. And Moses' mother got to take him home that night and not worry if he cried and not be afraid that he was going to be thrown into the river because now he belonged to the king's daughter, the guy who wrote the law. His daughter saved the baby. Isn't that amazing? When I look at all the circumstances of our world and see what's happening, sometimes I get filled with fear. But then I think, wait a minute, God's not changed. His his power, his wisdom is not diminished. And God has promised to protect and provide for his people. He's going to take care of us, and he's going to take care of our kids. And so may God help us to parent with caution. They watched over him. Now, we do need to be watchful. Can I say this to you? Parenting is not a spectator sport. You don't just take a seat on the bench and go, well, they'll figure it out. No, you got to get in the game with them. Train up a child in a way he should go. A good coach doesn't sit on the sidelines and say, now, go out there and win the game. He has practice. And in practice, he teaches them how to play the game. He teaches them how to shoot the ball. He teaches them how to box out. He teaches them how to play defense. He teaches them how to pass. And he ought to demand, or she ought to demand, whoever's doing the coaching, that the players execute properly that they learn the fundamentals and parents you have to teach your children the fundamentals parenting is not a spectator sport and you've got some timeouts in your pocket and every once in a while you need to call one and you need to say hey we need to have a conversation you need to get in the game you need to you need to be a participant hey it's okay to have rules it's okay to have rules. You need to have rules. You need to have safeguards. You need to have conversations and explain some things. But you also need to have some standards, and you need to hold your children accountable, and you need to teach them responsibility, and you need to provide discipline for them. Yes, I said the word discipline. The Bible still speaks to us because the Bible doesn't change. God's Word doesn't change with the times. And your opinion, though you value it, is not higher than God's truth. God said that we are to discipline our children. That is the responsibility of parents. Well, parents are afraid of kids today. What if they get mad? What if they don't like it? What if God gets angry with us? You see, we're more concerned about what our kids think of us than we are what God thinks of us. The man, the, the 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 man that God created is to be is is to be taught the truths that God gave for that man to hear, to have. He knows us. He knows what we need. He has written us a prescription. Now we have to take the medicine. So watchfulness includes discipline. But let me say this, and most importantly, watchfulness includes prayer. The greatest thing we can do for our kids is pray for them. Now, you know, I like to, I like to, um, I like to sit my children down and say, I'm, your, I'm the father, you're the child, this is the way it is, this is the way it's going to be. That's what I like to do. You know what? It's easier to do that at least initially. But I have found out that that doesn't always work. In fact, it rarely does. Now, it should, because children ought to learn to honor their father and the mother and obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. By the way, that's in the Bible, too. So your rebellion and your bad attitude toward your parents and toward authority is not justified. You may think it is, Because you set yourself up as a judge. And through your criteria, you have judged that everybody else out here is crazy. And you ought to be able to do what you want to do. I'm sorry, friend, but you've got it wrong. You've got it dreadfully wrong. You are to honor your father and your mother. You are to obey your parents. You are to respect the authority. Look, do you really want this world of anarchy that we see unfolding before us every day? May God help us. So watchfulness requires prayer. When Abraham found out that Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed, he began to pray. He's praying for the deliverance of Lot and his children. And while Lot and his family lingered in Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels were patient and waited to pull him out. Why? Because of the prayers of Abraham. Parents, your prayers are effective The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let's pray for our kids. Let's not stop praying for our kids. Let's keep praying for our kids. Prayer can do anything that God can do, and may God help us to do so. Well, they parented with caution. They parented with conviction. Let me give you the last one, and we'll close quickly here. They parented with courage with courage. By faith, Moses, verse 23, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. I believe many parents, many of those Hebrew parents, failed to take a stand. They said, well, that's the law. We got to do what we got to do. You know, they'd been in Egypt nearly 400 years They had gotten so accustomed to the ways of the world that they had almost forgotten who they were. We know that because when they left Egypt and went into Canaan, they wanted to worship golden calves. Where did they learn that? They learned that in Egypt. They carried a lot of the ways of the world with them. And as we live in this world, sometimes we get settled down. We get comfortable. We begin to think like the world. We have not allowed our mind to be renewed by the Word of God because we don't have a relationship with the Word of God. We don't spend time reading the Word of God, and we don't have much intention to obey the Word of God. May God help us. If you are a parent and you need wisdom, God's got a book for you. It's called the Bible. Let's get into it. Let's do it the Bible way, not the world's way. Let's do it God's way, not the way that we read about in secular Uh, in the secular world. So we have to take a stand. And that requires courage to stand against the lies of the devil and to say that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May God help us to parent with courage. And sometimes the greatest fear that we have is not the world, but it's our kids. We're afraid of what they're going to say, or we're afraid of what they're going to think, or we're afraid that we're going to hurt their feelings are we afraid that they're going to run to the devil well that's a possibility Cain and Abel grew up in the same household did they not they heard the same truth but they made a choice as a parent your responsibility is not to condition or control the response of your child and therefore in order to do that change the message to make it more palatable and more acceptable. Yes, you need to love your children. May God help us to love our children and be real with our kids. But we cannot compromise on the truths of God's word. And that happens in your house. And may God give you the courage to stand even if your children don't like it. And children, if you have a parent like that, you better thank God for them. You see, the only way to overcome fear is through faith. What is faith? It is believing God and it is trusting God. And I want you to know that their faith was rewarded. Look in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11. The Bible says, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, he made it. The crocodiles didn't get him, he's a man. He's grown. When he was grown, he went out into his brethren and he looked on their burdens. The Bible tells us here in Hebrews chapter 11 that when Moses came to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He went out to his brethren and he looked upon their burdens. You know what that boy knew? He knew he wasn't an egyptian he knew this world was not his home he was just passing through his treasures weren't in in egypt's land no they were somewhere beyond the blue and he knew those people out there working building those pyramid cities he knew those were his people and he chose to suffer reproach the reproach of christ rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. He was able to see beyond the temptations and, 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 and the alluring things of this world. By the way, Moses was in a position to have it all, right? He was the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. But he said, no, no, don't call me that anymore. I belong to God and God's people. You see, if we'll parent by faith and trust God and do our part, we'll see God do great things in the lives of our children. Moses became the deliverer who brought the children out of Egyptian bondage. I want to tell you, we live in a world that's in real trouble. And we need some deliverers. We need some kids who know God, who love God, who are willing to serve God. And it's not going to happen unless we parent with conviction, parent with caution and parent with courage. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.